Let's begin with a prayer today. Heavenly Father, help us to focus our attention on the empty tomb of Christ and our own filled hearts full of Christ. Uh, Help us to remember to give you glory in all that we do in the name of Jesus and for your sake and for the sake of those around us who perhaps do not know Jesus or have not yet learned to trust in him. Use us as you will to proclaim the message of Jesus Uh, crucified and risen again. We pray this in his name. Amen. So this is a short chapter, but there are quite a few things to cover, and I'm going to... I have a piece at the end that I'll add about the descent into hell if we get that far today. Otherwise, we'll continue there uh, next time as we then go back and cover a few things that we skipped Um, in order to really get us to where we are today here on this Easter Tuesday. Um, So let's just start right in in uh, chapter 28. I think we actually covered the first verse or two last time, but we're going to return to them now as we divide the chapter up into short pieces. The tomb, first of all, the first 10 verses or so. And then a short piece on the lies of the Jews. A very short uh, section on the reunion And then finally, the Great Commission at the end, and we have some things to talk about there. Um, And uh, I'm not privy to all of the ins and outs of the Great Commission in our synod. I know that when I was just starting in the ministry, there was some kind of controversy that happened um, in our fellowship about, is the Great Commission the Great Commission or is it not? And I don't know if you heard much about that. We can talk about that when we get there. But out where I was, out on the outskirts of everything, um, in uh, just about literally in the northwest corner of behind uh, uh, where I was a missionary, I didn't hear much about what was happening here. And uh, by the time I got back to the Midwest in 2001, the whole thing had kind of blown over. Um, and we just kind of heard echoes of it. And I've never gotten anybody to tell me what exactly happened. Um, so I've never exactly found out. And um, so maybe we'll talk about that a little bit when we get there. But let's begin at the empty tomb. So Matthew 28, the first couple verses. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, this is Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and the other Mary would not be the mother of Jesus, but she would be the one who had some sons listed in the previous chapter, the mother of uh, James and either Joseph or Joseph and the, probably the wife of Clopas, I think is how that goes. They went to look at the tomb. Now, uh, in Mark, we're told that they actually went to anoint the body of Jesus here in Matthew we're not told anything more than they just went to look at the tomb. Um, so they kind of had a twofold purpose for being there. Um, but they did, Mark 16.1 does tell us that they brought spices to anoint the Lord's body. That wasn't completed in the very quick burial that was done on Friday afternoon before sundown. So now they go there again. And there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Uh, So 
I guess with regard to verse 1, the women going to the tomb, and we, maybe we covered this last time, but what's a natural question to ask here? Yeah, how did they think they were going to get inside that tomb? Um, those stones, well, John, you rolled the stone on Good Friday night. Uh, uh, how, how awkward would that be with an actual stone that size? You should ask this question so I could have done some research on it. Yeah, I suppose I should have. I, I should have. Now you know how I feel in Bible class when people just snap questions on me and expect me to have that all the information there. But uh, because it rolled, however, it would seem that um, a a typical pair, I'm just going to say a pair of adults, should probably have been able to roll it a little bit. But I don't know. It depends on if the thing was at an angle. If, you know, how good is the track? Uh, Is it... You know, does it just sit there? Are there any obstacles in the, in the way? There's all kinds of things that either you end up with something that could be rolled easily by two or could not be rolled easily by anything less than six. You know, I don't know. And um, boy, if you, if you have 10 fingers to begin with and you've got six pairs of hands, uh, we might end up with less than 59 fingers at the very end of it. Diane? Oh, we're told that they did it. They may have had help from somebody else, but yeah, they rolled the stone. That was a typical closure. On the other hand, I think we all know that sometimes closing a thing and opening it are not the same thing. I got something in the mail from my nephew uh, yesterday, and I know, I know that it took him seconds to close it. But it took me long minutes to figure out how I was going to open it without damaging the, the packaging, just because of the way the Postal Service seals packages uh, these days and, and, and so forth. But, Brad? I heard or read that possibly there was a kind of a trench in front of theirs. Yeah, that yeah. Stone would have been easy to roll. Some kind of a track, right. Yeah, On the other hand, if there were any kind of a of a, of a niche that it would set down into so as not to roll around, then it becomes easy to roll it in, but much more difficult to roll it out. One of my sons never could unplug the bathtub by himself. Um, he had a habit of biting his fingernails. And there was never anything to, to help him get that plug. We, had a, we, had, we still do. We have a plug on the, on the upstairs bathtub. And there's no, there's no little contraption on the top, nothing to grab onto. It's just a, basically a convex piece of metal. And so we tried different things. Finally, I ended up with giving him one of our spoons, which lives in the bathtub now you know, that spoon to, to help dig the thing out and then get it, uh, undo the suction and get the, and get the thing out. And I realized the other day, I thought, you know, I probably haven't washed that in three years, that spoon. Not that it needs it, it's just the bathtub lifter upper thing or whatever, but I thought of that the other day. Um, go ahead, John. I've been pondering this weight thing, and if I remember 
Sure, sure. It's 3,800 Sure. And a cubic yard is three by three by three. And I can't imagine a stone being much, you know, it's round. A little thinner. A little thinner. So it's going to weigh over a ton. Yeah, yeah, close, maybe closer to two. Yeah, maybe much closer to two. Well, and, and uh, the Romans had a recipe for concrete that's better than our recipe today. Um that there, there, people are doing a lot of research into, that very possibly this kind of stone would have been made out of, unless it were just hewn out of solid rock, but it may have been a, a, a fashioned thing that you could buy made of concrete. So then again, it didn't necessarily have to be as tall as the one that we use in our reproduction in church. It could have been quite a bit smaller. Well, um, well, I also wanted to talk about what we mean by uh, the three days because that's sometimes a question. And just to have covered it, um, in uh, the way that Jews figured time in Old and New Testament, it occurs both here and in Esther where you have three days mentioned and yet the third day is really just in, oh, in, in about 24 hours from now. So uh, when you're talking about three days, the day one is the day the thing happens on. In this case, Friday would have been day one. There wouldn't have been many hours left, but I think we saw about six hours, seven hours left in Friday, the way we calculate time. Saturday is day two, and then Sunday is day three. Um, so not three days according to the clock, but according to the calendar. And the same thing happens in Esther 4, um, where... Uh, uh, Esther asks uh, her uh, cousin, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa, the place where they're living, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast with you. And then the beginning of the next chapter, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace. And almost certainly the same thing. This was commanded uh, one afternoon, the next day is really day two, and the morning of the what we would think of as the third day is the is it counts as the third. So yes, day and night, but we're really only talking about one night and one morning, you know, for the for the most part, or, or two nights and one morning. Um, but as they as they count the days there, so this earthquake happens, and the word for is an important word in verse two. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone. So the coming of the angel is not what caused the earthquake. What causes the earthquake? God. Well, I think it's in the verse. The moving of the stone. Yeah, the angel rolls the stone away with angelic, nearly divine power, um, because of the word for there. That tells us that there's a causal relationship between the one and the other. There was an earthquake for or because the angel rolled back the stone and sat on it. Um, so Greek is a very precise language and you can't use a word like for, which in Greek is gar, um, without attaching um, the correct meaning to it. And in this case, 
you only have a couple of possible meanings and really causal is the most obvious one. So that this happened because of the rolling back of the stone. Um, is there significance to the angel sitting on the stone? Angels only have wings in maybe two passages in the Bible. Otherwise, they don't have wings. We're not told this one had wings. Angels have wings in Zechariah and in um, Isaiah 6. Otherwise, they pretty much don't. They just look like young men. And we're told that these angels, this angel and the other one that comes, look like young men. Pastor, according to Zechariah, angels were women. No, those two angels had the faces of women. In other passages, they look like young men. So it goes back and forth and back and forth, but excellent, yeah. Um, here, uh, it would seem, with regard to sitting, the, the, the session upon the stone um, is that the angel's taking really ownership on having rolled the stone away. The angel's telling people by sitting on the thing that I'm the one who did this. This is me having done this. Um, this is like a... Maybe in a battle, a guy standing over the person who he killed, that kind of thing. David holding up Goliath's head. Um, so the angel takes ownership of this. Verse 3. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. So um, what do those things? Lightning, white. What does that usually tell us symbolically? Yeah, and holy. Holy, sure. This is a holy angel, which also tells us something about the tomb. We're coming to that a little bit later. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Um, uh, what would we say in modern language? Yeah, I think they fainted. Sure, sure. The blood left their heads, and they curled up their little toes, and they fell down and fainted. Yeah, they went nighty-night. Um, they had grass. I fainted once, and it was on um, a tiled bathroom floor, and it was not gentle. Um, not at all. I was a missionary then, working a little bit too hard. Um, but these guys at least got, of course, there are a lot of stones in the area, so who knows. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So the angel invites them to come and look. Significance there? Just proof, right? Just proof. Come and look. He's not there. Um, now, our dogmaticians make, a, make a, a, a very profound point to notice that Christ rose before the stone was rolled away. I'm going to put it together for you this way. Verses 2 and 6. Verse 2, an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it and said, he's not here, he has risen, just as he said, come and see where he lay. Um, and uh, uh, Johannes Quenstedt, who lived in the most of the 1600s, uh, that's his actual picture, um, 
Christ rose when the sepulcher was closed and the stone had not yet been rolled away by, uh, from the door by the angel. He, the angel, did this in order to demonstrate that the resurrection had already occurred. So Christ leaves the tomb. Then the angel rolls the stone away just to show that it's empty. Um, so uh, Quenstead's words, in order to demonstrate that the resurrection had already occurred. So the, the, the Lord did not need the stone rolled away to get, out, to get out of the tomb. Although there are some who have claimed this over the years, um, and there are many who still have very funny ideas about whether Christ died at all, um, whether he rose at all, and what the resurrection truly means. Um, and so who is Jesus Christ? How do we get to heaven? Remain the two key questions to ask of other denominations if you want to understand the differences. So who is Jesus? Is he, for example, risen from the dead? Um, is he still in heaven, both true God and true man? That will teach you a lot about a denomination because the denominations that will say, for example, that he is not true man any longer, inevitably deny the power of the Lord's Supper. Um, and it, it just goes on and on and on like this. Things that you and I have taken for granted our whole lives because we know something as simple and as beautifully put together as the small catechism. Um, we have learned these things correctly with nothing but scripture passages. Um, and uh, just these are the basics of our faith. And to hold on to the, what part of the catechism do we learn all the stuff about Jesus in? The creed. The creed. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit in baptism, a little bit in Lord's Supper, but mostly it's in the second article of the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, there are a few things we learn in the Lord's Prayer in different places as well, especially if your pastor was able to take you deeply into the Lord's Prayer. But I will admit, when you have six parts of the catechism to teach, and which one is the most important for getting your kids confirmed so they can take the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper, right? Um, you don't want to give short shrift to the commandments. You want to make sure you hit baptism and the Lord's Supper. You want to make sure you hit the creed. And what does that mean? You end up kind of... The Lord's Prayer. Well, you can't do the keys without the Lord's Supper without the keys, without the forgiveness of sins. And besides, the keys is only one page. So, it, it, but but the Lord's but but the uh, Lord's Prayer often is where we uh, end up uh, not going as deeply as we could. I like the way that things have happened now at St. Paul's. We changed the date of catechism or of confirmation. No longer have it on Palm Sunday for one thing. Liturgically, that means we get to have a Palm Sunday now rather than never having had a Palm Sunday for 100 years. Um, but also in the, in the fall, or at the, not in the fall, in the springtime, after we've confirmed the kids, we still have them for a little while. And you can go back and finish up something like the, like the Lord's Prayer if you haven't gotten through it all. Um, so it's, it's handy to be able to do that. Let's go on, verse 7. Oh, uh, back to verse 6, though, for a second. 
Come and see the place where he lay. It's a grave, right? Would they become defiled by looking into it? What shows us that? More than that, well, he, these, things, these things all combined into one. But I'm going to go back just to the angel's clothes. The holy angel is there, sitting on the thing, inviting them to look into it. They're not going to do wrong by, by coming in and, uh, and taking that look. And yes, he is risen. That's why he's telling him to come in and look, is, uh, is that. Yeah. Okay. Go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Um, so the angel here uh, first gives a command with sort of two parts, right? The, the first command, come and see. The second command, go and tell, right? And curiously, we're going to end the chapter with the same command. Go and tell. Uh, but here we have it from the angel. Go and tell. Uh, Jesus has risen. That's part one. And what's part two? Well, that, that's who to tell. But part one is he is risen. What's part two in verse seven? You're going to see him in Galilee. Go to, go to Galilee, you'll find him there. You'll see him in Galilee. Um, so the angel's message really is this command, this two-part, well, really three-part thing. Come and see, first of all. Then go quickly and tell. He is risen, part two. He's going to go ahead of you into Galilee. There, you're going to see him there. And then the angel says something else at the end. Now I have told you. And I've always wondered if the angel laughed when he got to say that. Because of all the messages the angels got sent to deliver, right? Can you imagine the Lord doing roll call one morning and saying, I need two volunteers, thank you, okay, you and you. You're heading down to Sodom today. I'll tell you what you're going to do later. And they got to go do that one. You know, and, and different things, uh, you know. You're, and then somebody gets to rescue Daniel from the lions. You know, there are different things that they do. But can you imagine the guy who gets told, oh, you get to go and tell the women that Jesus has risen. And I just wonder how he could keep his excitement from bubbling over with that kind of a message. I mean, to do anything the Lord tells you is an excellent thing, right? It all gives glory to God. But to be the guy who gets to say he's risen, would have been really, really a cool message to go and get to deliver to these women. So now I've told you, or as I put it once in a sermon, and I got to be the one to tell you. You know, so rejoicing over what he gets to do for the Lord. So the women hurried away. They did what he said. He said quickly. They hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Two emotions, interesting emotions, why afraid? Well, does that always happen when we meet an angel? You know, there's always that part of it. And yet filled with joy because of the message, and they ran to tell his disciples. So two things in the verse. 
tell us that they obeyed him completely, they did it quickly, and they ran to tell his disciples. And then on the way, and I don't know where on the way, was it, I mean, they were just outside the city, was it at the gate, was it in the streets? Somewhere, suddenly Jesus met them. Can you imagine that? You're running back to find the house, you, cut, you turn the corner, and there's Jesus? Wah! And greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. If you would have clasped the feet of the risen Jesus, would you also have looked? How could you help? Right? What do I mean by would you have looked? And for, the, for the nail prints, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, go and, 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 and he says, don't be afraid. Again, uh, an appearance of the divine, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Same message. So, two witnesses, right? Same message, exactly the same message. I'm, I'm risen. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they'll see me. Um, so the message from the angel is no mistake. Jesus himself confirms it. And we have this remarkable early uh, resurrection appearance of Jesus in the city. Meanwhile, by the way, as we turn the page, I'm going to get to um, all of the resurrection appearances. We'll be able to kind of pin, pigeonhole where these things happen. But meanwhile, the lie of the Jews. So here... While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests how much that had happened? Everything. So the chief priests aren't lacking any information. We were there all night. We were there in the morning. We saw women coming. There was an earthquake. We fell down dead and fainted, and we woke up. The sun hasn't moved much in the sky, right? How do you tell time? You know, um, in fact, do you know how to tell what hour it is? With your hand. If you hold your hand out at stiff elbow length, that's how many hours in the afternoon, hand over hand over hand over hand, that's how many hours until sunset. So if you know what hour the sun's going to set, you can tell to within just a few minutes what time it is. And the same is true on the other end of the day in the east, um, how many hours after true sunrise is it? The soldiers would have known what time it was. They would have known how, how long were we asleep? Was it even a half an hour? Was it one finger? If this is an hour, how much is this? 15 minutes. One finger, your pinky is 15 minutes. Two fingers is 30 minutes. Get it? It's not that difficult to tell time that way. Um, we got to revitalize the Lutheran pioneers and teach our kids these things. <coughs> That's where I learned it. So uh, they knew how long they had been asleep, and it may have been just minutes. Okay? Uh, they report to the chief priests, every, and, and so if it's only minutes, they would have seen, right, somebody dragging the Lord's body out or whatever, um, you know, disappearing around a corner somewhere. They didn't see any of that. It was just gone. And by the way, in John's gospel, what's the magnificent detail 
that tells me that Jesus had been a good boy when he was a little boy. He folded his headcloth. He, fold, he made his bed when he rose from the dead. That should be a line in a hymn. Ah, uh, uh, well, we'll see. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they still don't come to faith. Their natural instinct is we got to make a plan. We got to plot about this. They devised a plan giving the soldiers a large sum of money. So lie about it and bribe the guards. That's their decision. Telling them you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Weren't they being paid not to sleep? I think I have an answer for your question. It's a natural question. Soldiers were put to death if they lost a prisoner. Is a dead man a prisoner? No. No. Uh, so, yeah, excellent. That comes up, well, what, what important Bible stories, two of them, does that come up in? Oh, I hadn't even thought of that one, but okay. With Peter, huh? Okay. Yeah, Paul in Philippi. It tells the jailer, don't kill yourself, we're still here. And then Paul again, off the coast of Malta, the shipwreck. The soldiers, as the ship is being torn apart by the waves, the soldiers, before they jump overboard, want to kill all the prisoners so that nobody might accidentally swim to shore and survive. Um, and Paul tells them, don't, don't do this, we haven't gotten away from you yet, we're not going to do it now. And in fact, everybody makes it to shore. So Paul makes sure that they all get to shore. But yeah, all of the, all of the prisoner stories, would, this would come up in. So, but they're, they're to say they stole his body away while we were sleeping. I mean, who would care? If you're just a soldier, you know, it's a dead body. If they steal it, they steal it, right? Um, yeah, go ahead, Tim. In the last chapter, we were told that they asked for them. The chief priests asked Pilate for the, for the guards. They, they suspected something was going to happen? They, they, they thought that something like this might happen, yeah. So they, they had asked. That's the same, that it was the same moment when they decided to seal the tomb, which really doesn't mean seal it so it can't be opened, but seal it so if it gets opened, we'll know about it. So nobody gets in there. Yeah. And of course, now the angel sitting on the tomb, now it's a dead giveaway that something had happened, I rolled the stone away. And sitting upon it. Yeah, this is why the seals are broken, because I'm here. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Boy, I don't, would you have trusted the Jewish priests of this era? Maybe in Ezra's time, when they had some credibility. Maybe in David's time. But uh, not in Jesus' day. Um, but the soldiers did it. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And there are even Christians today who still believe this lie. That perhaps Jesus wasn't, uh, 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 did not rise from the dead. And so on. (coughs) 
became a very popular thing to say in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the dawning period of, uh, after the Enlightenment, right as psychoanalysis was getting going in Germany in the late 18th century, the, uh, the uh, or uh, yeah, and, and in the 19th century, as uh, in the days before, just before Freud and including Freud and others, and uh, not that Freud was a theologian, but there were some uh, theologians in that part of, oh, well, Germany and also in uh, Switzerland and in France and, uh, and in, play in the Low Countries as well. And there were some theologians who thought, maybe it's more important that you experience Christ than that Christ even was an actual person. And there was a guy in the 20th century who really took off with this and became just the toast of the town. And everybody thought he's going to save Christianity in Europe. His name was Rudolf Boltzmann. And he was the son of a Lutheran pastor in Germany. And he almost destroyed Christianity in Europe single-handedly. Um, uh, just a terrible theology. And if you ever see a picture of him, he looks exactly like the kind of old professor that you just don't want to talk to. He, that's really what he looks like. Uh, I, uh, and and uh, the, the man obviously was too smart to be correctly understood by anybody. And there are, there are guys like that. I had one in my class in college. And, and um, he just did a terrible amount of damage uh, to Christianity. Anything that far up to verse 15. I'm making it easier for Jared to find a place to make the break in the, in the YouTube video later. All right. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.